0: Hey everyone, welcome back to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Hope you enjoyed last week's set of episodes on cryptocurrency. We interviewed Roger Veer and Joe Lubin of Bitcoin and Ethereum fame. I know that I learned a lot and got a ton of positive feedback from those episodes, so please check those out if you've not already done so. But today's guest is Tim Summers. We're still in that tech space with today's interview. He is a cybersecurity expert. He is a professor, a cybersecurity consultant, and a blogger at HowHackersThink.com. We talk a lot about cybersecurity, some of the things that people don't always understand, and just generally get schooled on life. He's a smart, interesting, fun dude, and I had a blast talking with him, and I think that you'll really enjoy our conversation. So without further ado, please enjoy my talk with Tim Summers. You're listening to Going Deep with Aaron Watson. So, Tim, thank you so much for coming on Going Deep with Aaron Watson today. I'm excited to have you and excited that your phone is now quiet. (laughs) Yeah,
1: Yeah. Aaron, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited about this. I've been pumped about it for the past few weeks, and I'm glad that we finally got my phone quiet. I must warn you that being here on the university, sometimes ambulances come through the campus. So so just an FYI.
0: Yeah, and we're recording this on election day, so there's probably a a slightly higher risk of some shenanigans going on, but hopefully everyone stays calm for at least another 30 minutes or so so that we can have a conversation here. For sure. You you kind of occupy an interesting collection of titles uh relative to some of our previous guests. Uh, you're a hacker, you're a professor, and you're a cybersecurity consultant, which is a pretty interesting blend that I'm excited to unpack. And I wanted to start off uh, actually by help, having you help me and the audience get a, a definition of what you believe a hacker to be, what that really means to you, and uh, maybe a little bit about where your interest in that realm started.
1: That's, that's an absolutely wonderful place to start. And you won't believe how many times people come to the conversation and they figure, I know what a hacker is. I'm going to tell you what a hacker is. Uh, uh so, so really the interesting thing about hacking is that. We like to think about it as being purely about technology, when in reality, hacking is really about questioning the way that things are and being willing to be curious enough to try to explore them and really try to get a better understanding of of why things are the way they are. And and I'll give you a perfect example of that. Let's utilize uh, technology because we're talking about, uh, usually when we think about hackers, we think about technology. Really, uh, the best hackers in the world, the most skilled hackers, usually are folks who really want to take the time to try to understand how the technology works so that they can really get a feel for the, the underpinnings of it. And then they conceive of ways to potentially uh, make those technologies work differently than they were originally intended. Um, and that's why we're starting to see a movement of people using the term hacker or hacking uh, in various areas. You've probably heard of the term biohacking uh, or health hacking. Um, even We've even gotten into the point of, of talking about hacking within the context of e-textiles. And so hacking is really a, a term that, as a society, we're just now starting to unpack
0: yeah, I, I think that if you watch you know too many movies, you can start to think that the hacker is this person who you know brings a brings a gun to a knife fight almost and can kind of just bully his way through any sort of system. But that understanding is a big part of it, and also just you know your website's called How Hackers Think, and that idea of connecting human psychology with computer systems. Really drives home the idea that there's a human behind everything that's being created, and that seems really informative in the multiple areas where you work. Can you talk a little bit about how you help bring that perspective to either teaching your students or working with your clients that you consult with?
1: Sure. Um, so, so I, I I must start by, you know, informing you and your in your audience that you know when I. St- First started uh, down this path. Uh, I was 10 years old. It was the first time I'd ever really engaged with computer technology uh, in a in a in a true fashion. And it, it's an interesting story how this started. Um, my mother worked in a hospital, and uh, one of her colleagues uh, took me to uh, the library in the hospital one day. And we sat down in front of this box that was sitting, uh, you know, on a desk in the library. And, and at this time, you know, the library only had one of these boxes. There really weren't very many of them sitting around. And um, he, he typed in some some gibberish, and it made these uh, these shapes appear on the screen. And one of the most prominent of, of the shapes was a was a, a green circle and uh and and this gentleman said to me, he said, "Tim, you should learn this because it's really going to change the future it's going to change the world and it was so fascinating to me it it, it was it was it just burned into my head and and I remember going home and, and saying to my mom, you know, mom, I really want one of those boxes, one of those things that was, that's at the hospital, really need one of those. And, um, and, and that was, it was a computer and he wrote some code in basic, which was the gibberish that I saw. Right. And, and, and that led me down a really interesting path of wanting to learn about everything I could about computer systems and programming and technology. Um, And I always had a natural proclivity for these things. You know, I I was the kid that was always taking things apart and putting them back together and finding new ways for them to operate. Um, But I hadn't uh, applied that. I mean, being so young, I hadn't applied that to uh, computers yet. And, and where that ended up taking me is an interesting journey. I, have always been very interested in people and how people handle different situations in life and and I I was always interested and in, in curious you know when it came to people watching and just getting a sense for what the essence of what really made us you know uh, made us human mm-hmm. and um, and so to, to fast forward a little bit so I, I started out you know programming at 10. Uh, and learning how the you know kind of computer systems work from that early age, and and then by the time I was twelve, I got really into security. And then the question was, well, you know, you learn about these computer systems mm-hmm. and and this and this you know code that can make things work, but then the question is, well, okay, you know. How do computer systems interact with one another? You know, how do they do a a handshake and and say, hey, this is this is okay. You can come and use my files or, oh, yeah, you know, let me use that server that you have and and thinking about the connection between those computer systems. And that's really where I started to get into um, security. And, and by the time I had reached high school, um, I was really fascinated with it even much more. And, and there really wasn't a legitimate name for the field at that time. Uh, we just called it computer security. And, uh, uh, and then that morphed to where we are today with regard to cybersecurity. But I, I had always. Uh, stay true to uh being a part of the hacker community. Um at that time, you know, of course, the hacker community was a different kind of community. It was uh, uh still deeply rooted in academia and and people who wrote assembly code or understood binary. It was it was still very much rooted in the 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 uh the sort of origins of um of computing technology. Where did you
0: go to find these fellow hackers how did you kind of first connect with them where did you find them
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I grew up in New York City and um, uh, the first time I really actually I'll tell you something interesting. So I'm telling you about growing up in New York City because the initial thought would be, oh, where there's tons of people there. The very first hacker that I ever met, I never met him personally. We actually met on the phone. (laughs) And uh, the way that worked is I bought a computer game at the uh, store and I brought it home and I tried to install it. And the computer game uh, had a bug in it where it kept my computer from booting into Windows. And um, so I had to call the, the the software company for tech support. Well, the guy that I was talking to on the phone was one of the developers at the company, and he was also a hacker. And so so he and I started talking on the phone. Um, you know, of course, my my... My parents were not very happy because it was a long distance phone call, but, but uh, he and I started talking over the phone just about the different chat rooms and bulletin boards that were out there where people uh, were talking about security. And so that was really how I found the initial uh, groups that I could be a part of. It was really uh, being an IRC chat, which is a, you know, obviously a chat technology, and, uh, and bulletin boards. That was really where I first got connected with the hacking community.
0: So, catch us up a little bit. Uh, you're you're a professor now. You have your own consulting company, and in, in the cybersecurity world, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here. I think you'd you'd be what would uh, would be referred to as a white hat hacker and this kind of just continues to get back to it being people behind these systems or people behind yeah. these technological capabilities you've chosen to go down a route where you're using your expertise you're using this this knowledge that you've gained over years of years of interest and study to help organizations to teach students how do you how do you kind of bring that ethos and bring that that framework Two clients or two students who might not be as familiar with that line of thinking.
1: Yeah. Well, the the, the first thing is is really uh, when I started out, um, I, I didn't start out as a as a white hat. I really started out just as a curious kid, and then kind of because of um, uh, at the time we didn't really have a concept of white hats uh, and and black hats so much. Um, so I would say that when I first started, um, I started out. You know, and kind of went into being a black hat just because um, anytime you were trying to explore systems, you you explored them in a way that at the time was not legal, right? Um, but that was the only access that you had, and and it, it wasn't until I um I, I received a uh, a virus from um, another guy in the hacking community, and I thought. I mean to me it was really interesting. And I said, Oh man, this this virus is actually really cool. It did some really cool stuff. On one side of the computer screen, it showed a movie, mm-hmm. and on the other side of the computer screen, it showed every file being deleted on your computer. Which as a you know, a security geek at the time, I thought that was amazing. But then I thought about it, I said, Well, man, I really wouldn't want this happening to my mom or my grandma or or my aunts and our uncles. And and I thought, man, there's gotta be another way. To help people who maybe you know don't spend all day, you know, being involved with these different uh, these different groups and technologies, and so that led me down the path of really wanting to find out how I could provide value. How could I uh, help others in in understanding this this massive world that existed virtually? And, and that was really what took me down the path of becoming a white hat. And and that journey led me into being a uh, public servant uh, within the federal government. And I joined the intelligence community to figure out how I could serve uh, a broader audience that was much bigger than myself. And, and, uh, and that's really where I truly took on the identity of being a white hat hacker. Uh, it was when I uh, joined the government and really started Uh, trying to to help a broader audience.
0: And I think there's a really interesting union there. I, I at least know for a lot of young people who kind of, whether they want to go down an entrepreneurial route or they just know they want to go down a path that they want to help others and be a value of others. That's a key part of the mindset. You have to be looking for those Arenas where you can deliver value, but that's also built upon a well-developed and established skill set that in some way differentiates you and is the actual toolkit through which you get to deliver that value. Because I, I don't know, I feel right. like I see whether it's a Facebook post or a blog post or something where, you know, well-intentioned people are saying, I'm just focused on delivering value right now and doing for others. And that, that's a key part of it. But I think it's also really important to acknowledge that you had developed a lot of skills during your time. And, that, and that's what you were able to leverage to really provide that value to others. Yes, um, and if you want to just continue to go on a little bit more about the consulting and and just what the kind of next steps were after that, yeah,
1: yeah. Actually, it um, if there's a theme within uh, my work, whether it's in academia, whether it's in the private sector, um, and in the community initiatives that I'm involved with, it, they really all uh, stem back to uh, the core. My sort of my one of my core my core ethos really is. Being less driven by uh, personal ego and more driven by uh, really empowering others, and and that's something that to me, my transition into becoming a uh, a white hat, uh, a consultant, a professor, um, and, a, and a community advocate really has come from uh, my desire and 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 just inherent. Nature of wanting to um, to empower others uh, to be the best versions of themselves, and and I, I utilize that approach with my students, with my uh, and with my clients alike. Uh, typically, whenever I meet with my clients or with my students, I always start with the question of "What's in it for you?" Um, and and I find that that really helps. Get the conversation going. You know, if it's a client, then the question is, well, what's you know, this is what's in it. What's in it for you with regard to this conversation? Um, and the same thing with my students. Even when I do a syllabus for my classes, I usually. Like to provide a value proposition for the students. And I invite them to, to, uh, to want to add on to that value proposition. But this is where we can start. This is where the value for you is going to be. Um, and, and that's proven to be a very instrumental component um, in terms of my own measures of uh, of success, I think in life we we look for various measures of success, and there are many folks who like to measure that measure that based on um, how much uh, uh, monetary uh, reward they've received or um, how much how much accolades they receive. Um, and so, but success is really one of those things that I like to measure. Based on valuable partnerships, um, and in, in some places, um, and and my good friend Larry Joya uh, likes to refer to that as being connections. And and so even though Larry and I are in very different industries, um, you know I, I find that it's it's kind of the the lens of which we look at the world is is very important with our outlook on life.
0: I could not agree more, and I think that uh, regular listeners will be well aware of larry's touch and his impact towards that end um so that's that's obviously something that we love to talk about on this show and i also before we have to kind of move into the the last phase here would be remiss if we didn't talk about wiki breach as well and this kind of acknowledgement of for the white hats that are out there there may also be the black hats who are kind of performing actions that earned that moniker but that you are active in in kind of tracking and providing valuable information for with your social venture wiki breach which shares information about cyber breaches that happen and some of the companies that are targeted so I kind of had two questions around sure. that Tim sure. um, in terms of, of, of providing this value, value, valuable information for others how challenging is it to make the information digestible I was reading through some of them and it seems like it can be a very short announcement of you know it appears logins and passwords have been breached here and that's you know then just a couple sources cited um is that ever a challenge to make it digestible for folks and then simultaneously how (laughs) this is this is so funny because it's election day and i'm still clearly affected by all the uh political nonsense that's been going on recently but there's you know people have called it like the post fact world or this idea that um people can kind of like turn a lie into like a talking point or a truth through just sheer repetition and i'm curious how much of a factor that is in these cyber security breaches because it seems like with the underlying technology it seems like there's got to be kind of a, a, at some point a cut and dry record or result of what happened like it, it these these passwords were or were not compromised. Um, I'm just curious a little bit more about, quite honestly, just how that works as someone who doesn't really completely understand it. Yeah, yeah,
1: no, thank you so much for asking about WikiBreach. It's it's something that I'm very uh, passionate about. You know, it, you'll you find this uh, interesting. The way that WikiBreach was, was created, I was at a coffee shop and I had a phone call with uh, one of my business partners in Chicago. And... Um, uh, WikiLeaks had just released some information, and I said to him, "I said, you know, it's so interesting. We've got WikiLeaks, and and they're releasing all of this information about, um, you know, about private emails and whatnot. And and uh, and I said, you know, the really interesting thing is that." There's no place for the public to go and find out about breaches, cyber breaches that may have happened and that may impact them. And uh, and he, he was so surprised. He said, are you serious? And so he took, he, he said, I'm going to call you back. So he got off the phone with me. And over the next couple of hours, he spent time looking for sites where you could go and learn about breaches. And, and there really are, a, there are a few personal blogs where you can go and learn about breaches. I think the the most um, uh, popular one is the one from Brian Craig, Krebs, who's a journalist. Um, but it's 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 really more so Brian's investigative journalism is really why you go to to his site. But there really is no site where the same way we see the news, you can find out about uh, about breaches and then look and see if those breaches impact you. And so um, he calls me back and he says, "You're absolutely right. There's no place to go. So what do people do right now? And how do they find out if their data has been breached? And I told them, I said, well, the only way they find out is if the company sends you uh, either an email or there's a notification, a press release that's put out, and it makes it to the news. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to create this site. And an hour later, Wikibreach was born. <laughs> and so so the, the, the entire point of Wikibreach from that conversation was... How do we provide a public service where people can actually find out, hey, this breach happened today. You know, how does this impact me? And um, so the first thing I did is is I created some web crawlers that would essentially just search the web looking for cyber breaches whenever they happened. And as soon as they happened, I would receive an email and then I'd go through it, I'd validate it, and then I would go on to WikiBreach and post the notification there. And so you're right; the way I started the site was by posting these little bite-sized announcements of what was going on and providing sources. And it's 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 the site as it is today is still the same on the background. Um, so we've been around; the site's been around for a couple of months, but in the background, we're actually building an entire. Really new platform, uh, which which will operate quite a bit uh, quite a bit differently, but with the same staying true to the core message. Um, so, WikiBreach is one of those things that we've decided that. You know how can we provide value to the public by informing them of places and and when and where their data may have been lost, and that's really the true um, intent behind it. And your question about how tough it is, how complicated it is to share that information, is so spot on. It is so incredibly hard. To share with folks about cyber breaches without getting too much into the technical weeds, and and that's really what we're trying to do with Wiki Breach. It's to still provide them with that information asset, but without giving them uh, information overload.
0: It also seems like something that you know it, it, <laughs> you see it in in so many industries. The corporations might, or whoever whoever it's happened to, are incentivized to maybe not release that information immediately, Uh, not always in the sense to cover it up, but they're also trying to figure out what happened. So there also is kind of that game of what information is being released or where that information gets accessed uh, right. if that's in the public domain somewhere.
1: Right, right. And, and you're so right about that. I mean, it's one of those things where the companies, uh, I mean, we one of the metrics that we use in, uh, in cybersecurity is that it typically takes a company about a little over 200 days to even figure out that something's happened. And, and if we learned anything from the Yahoo situation, we know that some companies will find out that they've been hacked and, and really not realize that the, uh, the breach was larger than they initially reported. And, and they might not go back and, and say to the public, oh, we got that wrong. It actually was much larger until something really, really major happens, or someone sees that the data is for sale on the on the dark web. And so, Wiki Breach is this place where people can go and find out about breaches that have been happening as of recent and as of late, and get an idea of how large the breach was, and also what kind of data may have been lost. There was one one uh, posting that I, I was actually I'm really proud of, and this was it's something really small, but it let me know that Wiki Breach was, was actually really impacting, uh, people's lives. Um, there was a, a fast food restaurant in a specific town in Virginia and, um, we uh, found out about the breach. We posted it on the site, and we knew specifically within which dates uh, that uh, fast food restaurant had experienced a, uh, a major breach through malware. There was malicious software that was installed on the uh, the point of sale system, the system that they're using to take your order and then swipe your credit card. And so we posted that on Wiki breach and uh, and someone posted it on their Facebook and it turns out, that a couple of their relatives lived in that town. And then that same person uh, sent a note back to WikiBreach saying, I really appreciate the fact that you guys communicated this, but even though it happened in this little town, it turns out that my cousins were impacted by this. Um, so things like that, you know, that's a really small win, but it's a win nonetheless.
0: And I imagine it feels great that just is exciting to be able to make that type of impact on people's lives. so thank you for that work that you're doing and that explanation. I think that's gonna be immensely clarifying for those of us out there that are a little less techie and definitely not uh the hacker moniker Tim before we wrap things up and tell people where they can connect with you and you issue a personal challenge want to make sure that there isn't thing I just didn't give you a chance to say today
1: you know um I really wanted to uh, say to, as I mentioned earlier. One of the, the things that I really uh, hold true in terms of a philosophy is, uh, as I mentioned, empowering others. And and it's one of those things that I found that as a hacker today, we are actually more able to empower others uh, than we've ever been if you look around at the hackathons that are happening around the world, if you look around at um, the the types of biohacking that people are really starting to 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 do, uh, the way that we're really inspiring innovation amongst children and 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 even their parents for that matter. I, I had a hosted a hackathon last year, and um, it was for uh, college students and high school students and below. And uh, there was a, a, a kid that came and his father came with him. And um, at the hackathon, we hosted a programming 101 course. And the father came because he had recently uh, been let go from his job. And he came to our hackathon, uh, to our 101 class, to pick up a new skill because he wanted to learn how to do programming. And, and that was an opportunity where it gave me a chance to really see where hackers uh, have this really interesting ability to empower other people in ways that none of us had ever really conceived. And so to really... Um, a kind of an ending note for me is uh, I'd like to encourage uh, your audience that when they hear a person identify as being a hacker um, whether they're a tech hacker whether they're uh, you know a tech hacker like myself or a bio hacker or, or whatever kind of hacker they are think about them as being a, a source of empowerment and and so that's really kind of what I wanted to to share here uh, because as you know Aaron typically when people think of hackers they think of something malicious and they think of someone who is is seeking to exploit the system. And so I want to share the opposite side where there's also a lot of room for uh, value being provided and empowerment of, of others in
0: society. I love it. And I could not agree more. I think another little nugget in there that I can just unpack real quickly as well Is that notion of, you know, this older gentleman who's learning a new skill, perhaps maybe having to change careers or industries, he's not going to become... Uh, most likely like an elite hacker he, he's at the disadvantage of not being digitally native and and just by nature of trying to learn things when you're a little bit older uh, can sometimes be a little bit more difficult to make the same rate of progress or just have the same tail yes. for that learning yes. but there are opportunities and there are jobs available to people with that maybe eight week course or 16 right. or week course we have a program here in pittsburgh where it's, it's a kind of a basic 101 computer science. I think it's a 12-week boot camp, if I remember correctly. And those people are getting placed into jobs, entry-level, low-level jobs. But there is work to be done for people with that basic skill set. So I think that's just another thing to reiterate for people out there who who may be facing an industry change or a loss of job, uh, not thinking that they have to go and get the four-year degree. Not to to sell you short, I know you're a professor. No, no. I I agree with you 100%. That out there. Yeah. Yeah. No,
1: Aaron, I agree with you hundred percent because the way that I thought about it was that, you know, perhaps this gentleman's uh, core skill set is in an, is in another field, another industry. Just the instruction that we were able to give him in applying uh, technologies like programming or, uh, you know, tech skills like programming, that might be another way for him to augment his core skill set. And that in and of itself, you know, adds to his uniqueness. And so that was something that I I found really, really um, uh, empowering, even for him. And and even at the end, you know, he came up to us and he said, I really am so happy that uh, you guys were able to provide this for free. And, 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 Aaron, you know, it made me so excited that in, uh, in 2015, my company, in some way, shape, or form, we educated over a thousand people and taught them how to uh, hack or, or how to uh, uh, do programming um, from scratch. And that was something I'm, I'm really proud of to this day.
0: And, and you should be. I've got a big smile on my face and uh, I'm inspired by that work uh, and, and the education that you're doing, Tim. So thank you so much for coming on the show and educating us a little bit if we want to be further educated learn more about you and connect in the digital world where are the coordinates that we can direct people towards definitely
1: you can find me on most social media um, at how hackers think um, you can also uh, go to my website uh, which is www.howhackersthink.org and um, and you can keep up with my research and uh, uh, and the initiatives that uh, we have going on uh, through those different outlets.
0: Cool. We'll be sure to link to all of that in the show notes at goingdeepwitharon slash podcast. The place to find the show notes for this and every episode of the show. But as we do at the end every time, Tim, I'm excited to give you the mic a final time to take it away with your personal challenge for the audience. Definitely.
1: Um, My personal challenge uh, for the audience is to identify seven people and seek to find some way to inspire and and empower them. And um, I I share that uh, really uh, as a something that can be very self-fulfilling. Um, and of course, you may say, well, Tim, how can I empower these people? I mean, I, I don't know what I can do. And um, and I have some really simple empowerment uh, sort of tips that I use for myself, um, and, and they include a very small list of things like smile, be positive, be genuine, challenge others, encourage creativity, share your ideas, and try to find a way to truly connect with others. And so my challenge to you is to identify seven people. They can be people that you feel very close to, or they could be absolute strangers. One of the ways that I challenge myself is through asking how I can empower absolute strangers. And I really want to encourage the audience to do the same.
0: I Absolutely love it. And I think that this squarely falls under the category of ones that you can hear and you can kind of nod your head and you can say that's great, or you can actually grab the reins and go do it yourself. So I just want to reiterate the point firmly to everyone out there listening, take this challenge and see what comes of it sounds like it has had a tremendous impact on Tim. Uh, I'm excited to try it, and I hope that you will as well. Uh, Tim, thank you so much for that challenge, and thank you again so much for sharing your time with us today.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Aaron. Uh, this has been absolutely wonderful experience. Thanks again.
0: Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson. Please make sure that you hit subscribe if you've not already done so. And get excited for our next episode with Kwame Christian. Kwame is a lawyer, uh, accomplished with his own practice, still in his 20s, and also the founder of the American Negotiation Institute. He's a master of negotiation and is looking to help people out out in the real world, get better at their negotiating skills. I encourage you to check out his website, American Negotiation Institute, and also the next episode of Going Deep with Aaron Watson.
1: Thanks for listening. Connect with Aaron on Twitter and Instagram at AaronWatson59.